Y'all believe that today, that he's the King of Kings, that he's the Lord of Lords, that he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, that he's worthy of all our praise, all the honor and all the glory. Come on, church, do you believe it today? I want to take just a moment to join our faith together as we close out this time of worship and just ask God to do what only he can do in your life. I believe God's given me a word that will speak to your hearts today, but at the same time, I just want you to know that God doesn't just want to touch your intellect. He wants to touch your heart. He wants to heal your body. He wants to restore your soul. Whatever it is that you are lacking today is found in the presence of God. And the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. I believe that he's here at every campus in this place as we have lifted him up together. And if you open your heart to him today, I believe that he'll touch you in a supernatural way. Amen, everybody. Come on, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge your presence and your power is in this place. We join with the angels today and we declare worthy is the lamb of all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. We pause to recognize that you have come in a supernatural way to be in this place. God, we open our hearts to all that you have for us today. The things that we came expecting and then the miracles that we didn't expect. God, I thank you right now that you're touching those who are sick in their bodies. In the name of Jesus, we take authority over sickness and disease. By your stripes, scripture declares that we are healed. And so we thank you that life is touching every person in this place from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet. God, we thank you that the joy of the Lord is our strength today. So we take authority over fear and anxiety, worry and depression. We thank you that they must bow their knee to the name that is above every other name. God, we thank you that you're restoring relationships today, that you're healing marriages today, that you're bringing children home today. God, that you're touching us in a supernatural way. Holy Spirit, as always, we invite you to come. Be our teacher and our guide. We pray that as we open the word, that you would speak to us in a supernatural way that would transform the way we see the world around us. Let us leave here changed by your power. We love you today. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on, if you receive it today, give God praise. Come on, give him your best. He's worthy. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 5, since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other and each of us needs all of the others. Why don't you turn to your neighbor today and tell him you need me. Come on, tell him you need me. Turn to your other neighbor, tell him you need me today. You need me. Grab your seats. Welcome everybody to I-Town. want to say hello to all of our campuses. What an honor it is to have you in the house of God today. Hello to all of you who may be watching online, whether you're just stuck at home or traveling. Man, it's great to have you with us. And then all the correctional facilities across the state. Come on, church, let's put our hands together. Welcome each other today. Such an honor to have you with us. I'm sorry for those of you in overflow here at Olson Farms, especially if last week you were in the 1130 overflow and then I told you to come to the nine. And you got stuck in overflow again, praise the Lord. 
If you brought your Bibles, you can turn to Judges chapter 18, Judges chapter 18, and then Mark chapter 3. Judges chapter 18, Mark chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible, we have free Bibles at the Red Tent at every campus. We would love for you to have your own physical copy of God's Word. I think it's important to be able to have a Bible where you can take notes in and draw on and highlight and do all the things that maybe you were raised not to do in your Bible. I think it's important to mark your Bible up. Of course, you can always download the Itown Church app, pull up this weekend's message. There'll be a fill-in-the-blank version of the notes. You can follow along there as well. As I mentioned a little bit earlier today, and maybe you heard at your campuses today, we kick off a brand new circle semester. For 12 weeks, we will be gathering together, doing life together. And circles happen a little bit differently than maybe you've experienced if you're new to Itown. We don't have just one type of circle. We have circles that are uh, the interests of our leaders. And so we call them free market. That means that if you can think of it, we can support you. And so some are book studies, some are working out, some are going for walks, some are uh, playing cards. There's a lot of different things that you can do together. We don't care as much why you gather. What we care is that you gather and we've said this for a long time, but our belief is that iTown must grow larger and smaller at the very same time. It has to grow larger because everything that's healthy grows, and the Great Commission, by definition, is reaching new people with the gospel. And so every healthy church should be a growing church, and we believe in reaching lost people. But at the same time, that's no excuse for you to get lost in the shuffle, lost in the crowd, hide in the back, slip in and slip out, and never get to know anyone. The big church can become very small, very fast by attending a couple of circles. And that's the model of the early church. They didn't just meet publicly and they didn't just meet house to house. They had both avenues. They both met publicly, Paul said, and house to house. And so we have to have public ministry, which is our weekend services. And then we have house to house ministry, which is where we do life together. That's where you get to know one another and it's so much fun because in our culture today I think we've never been disconnected like we are today in fact it's fascinating if you study uh, what psychologists are talking about and what the world is talking about COVID really threw what little bit of a wrench there there was in the relationships that we did have we were already growing more disconnected while at the same time more connected in this digital era we, we become disenfranchised and disconnected. There isn't the social touch. There's not the opportunity for us to hug and love one another. It was already kind of growing that way. And then, of course, we came up with some of the stupidest phrases I've ever heard in my life, like alone together during COVID. Like, no, you're alone, alone. We're not alone together. When you're alone, you're not together. That's why those words can't go together. It's an oxymoron, like government efficiency <laughs> or Microsoft works. It just, that, that is... None of that is true. We can't be alone together. We have to be together together. And so during that season, of course, we fought together. And I think it's important for us to understand the reason why God has called us to live together in community. So we're going to tackle some of these thoughts today. In fact, I want to wrestle with a passage of scripture that I've taught before, but I think is so relevant to today. It's amazing how this community in Judges 18 were struggling with some of the very same issues that we have today. And then we're going to go over uh, to the New Testament to study this simple little passage, a couple of verses where Jesus taught us about relationships, just a very simple lesson. So 
Get ready to learn, get a piece of paper, get some notes. I wanna do some teaching today to help you out. And the first thing that we need to dive into is why are we not having deeper relationships? And it's not because the pandemic, it's not because of social media, it's a problem that we've had for thousands of years. Judges chapter 18, I'm gonna be reading from the New Living Translation in verse seven. It says, these five men went to the town of Laish where they noticed that the people were living carefree lives like the Sidonians. They were peaceful and secure. The people were also wealthy because their land was very fertile and they lived a great distance from Sidon and they had no allies nearby. A couple of very fascinating principles that we find in this one simple verse. But the the theme, of course, is that we have this city called Laish where people are very comfortable. Everything seems fine. They don't have any relationships. They don't have any allies living near them. And there are three things that I think it speaks to in our own relational lives and in the world in which we live. I think some of us today are simply not connected because, jot it down if you're taking notes, we are unaware of the need. We just are unaware of the the necessity of relationships. The Bible says that these people were living these carefree lives, back to verse seven, and that they were peaceful and secure. Carefree, peaceful, secure. Because they didn't see any imminent danger on the horizon, because they felt like there wasn't any active battle happening in the world around them, they felt safe. And I'm not trying to scare you today, but I just want you to hear that just because you feel safe doesn't mean that you are safe. And I'm speaking spiritually and relationally. In fact, if you skip down to verse 10, I like the New Century Version. It says, uh, speaking about these people that are getting ready to attack Laish, when you go, you will see that there's plenty of land, there's really plenty of everything, but the people are not expecting an attack. And I think that's where we kind of live our lives. I think we become naive or desensitized to the idea that there's an enemy or the idea that there's any risk or any danger. And we get so cocky and so arrogant. We look at people who fall spiritually and we go, I would never do that. (laughs) And we don't realize that all of us are one step from stupid. Every one of us are one decision away from ruining everything in our lives. You and I are not invincible. I love this story of Muhammad Ali when he was at the height of his boxing career. He was an incredible boxer, but Lord knows there's never been a more arrogant person to live on planet Earth than Muhammad Ali. And he was on an airplane, and the flight attendant said, Mr. Ali, you need to buckle your seatbelt so we can take off. And he looked at the flight attendant, and he said, Superman don't need a seatbelt. And she smiled back and she says, Superman don't need a plane either. (laughs) Buckle your (laughs) seatbelt. The truth is, I think we can become so full of ourselves that we think, I'll never fall for that. I'll never get into that. I'll never struggle with that. And then all of a sudden, adversity comes, crisis comes, and we find ourselves completely isolated. We need to understand that just because things feel peaceful does not mean that the enemy is not after us trying to attack us. In fact, I love 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. It says, be alert and of sober mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Your enemy is constantly looking for someone who is 
gotten themselves off by themselves. Think about the hunting tactics of a lion. And we don't need to belabor the point that the Bible says, devil and cats, devil, cat. You can draw the conclusion there. It's very clear. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If you ever watch the Nature Channel, you know that lions don't attack the herd. They attack the one that's gotten isolated, the one that's off by themselves, the one that feels like there's probably no danger. I can drink from the river here. I can not pay attention to my surroundings. I'll be fine. Things are okay. Life has been great. Before you know it, we get ourselves in trouble. The word alert and of sober mind simply simply means that we're staying vigilant. We're aware of the fact that at any point, danger could lurk in the shadows because the enemy is trying to take every single one of us out. Now, we don't need to be nervous about our enemy because he is a defeated foe, but we do have to make sure that we're just not living stupid lives that are unprotected. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, Paul says, I don't want Satan to outwit us because we are not ignorant about his scheming. We know how he manipulates. We know how he lies. We know how he distorts. We know how he isolates. And when we get our lives into those situations, we become a lot more vulnerable. So Paul is just saying, we need to make sure that we remember that the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And he does it by tempting us in our thoughts and getting us isolated in our lives and to places that that we shouldn't be to where there's nobody around us to help us. We get ourselves a bit isolated at times because we think there is no danger, there is no problem, everything is fine. We just don't have any allies. The second thing that we find is that some of us are just unavailable to connect. It's not necessarily that we we think that we're perfect or that everything is fine, it's that We actually just are not making time for it. Check it out. It says in verse 7 that the people were wealthy because their land was fertile. Now, I love this phrase and I love this thought because it still takes hard work to be successful. If you read the book of Proverbs, you know that it, it says all hard work brings a profit. So scripture's clear and life is clear that there isn't such a thing as people who have lucky breaks. I know for those of us that don't like to try hard in life, we like to look at other people who seem to have success and throw stones at them and say, well, if I was born into that family or if I had gone to that school or if I had that, had that opportunity or if I had had that education. And the reality is most of the people that are incredibly successful in life had it way worse than the rest of us. And it's why they're striving and working so hard to overcome because they were born into poverty. They were born with learning disabilities. They didn't get the opportunities that some of us had available to us. But the devil loves to get us in this place where we think, well, prosperity just comes because of opportunity. No, opportunity does not ensure prosperity. Just because the land was fertile doesn't automatically mean that everybody's wealthy. You have to have hard work. You have to have discipline. You have to actually try. But here's the point that we learn from this. The Bible says that they were wealthy. They did have fertile land, which played a role. But the fact that they were wealthy means that they were actually working really hard. They were focused on working the ground. They were focused on the outcome. And then they lived this great distance from Sidon and didn't have easy relationships nearby. So here's the point. 
They're very successful. They got their heads down. They're building their lives. And it's just not convenient for them to have relationships. Look, I'm building my career. It's time for me to build my portfolio. It's time for me to create the life that will set my children up for generations. I don't have time for a circle. I don't have time to make the sacrifice for relationships. I don't have time to make it to church every weekend. And so I want you to hear me today that all relationships that are worth having fall into that category. They require a sacrifice. They're not necessarily nearby. The devil would love for you to have relationships by default, and God is calling us to relationships by design. We need to be fighting for godly relationships, but the devil loves to make your life full of chaos and busyness, and then what ends up happening is the relationships that are closest to us and the people that end up speaking into our lives are the ones that are just pursuing wealth with us in the workplace, are the ones that are just alongside of us as we chase our kids around the country for youth sports, and they're not necessarily people that are pursuing God or trying to live righteous lives or trying to sharpen you as iron sharpens iron, so when friend sharpens another. They're not necessarily the kind of relationships that are going to take you from where you are to where God has called you to be. They're just people that are around. And the devil would love for you to have relationships that you don't fight for because they're not going to step into your life. They're not going to get into your business. They're not going to hold you accountable. They're not going to say, hey, you're acting weird and I don't know why. They're, they don't have the same values that maybe you have. So they're not going to press you to be in church. They're not going to push you to treat your spouse correctly. They're not going to train you to raise your children in a godly way. We just have these people around us that are convenient but they're not the ones that are going to take us to where we're supposed to be. And it's because we've convinced ourselves, well, the ground is fertile. The sowing time is now. I've got to work hard and I've got to invest. And I know I'm not preaching to you because y'all made the sacrifice to be in church. But even some of us are coming to church, but we're not connecting throughout the week. And the dominant influences in our lives are not people that we would want to become like. But I want you to hear me. Show me your five closest friends and I will show you your future. If all the people that you hang around have divorced their spouses, drink beer all the time, and just watch television and cuss like crazy, guess what? You're not going to be a righteous person several years from now. Man, it's quiet in this Lutheran church, isn't it? I'm pastoring you well today. I'm just telling you, you got to make a sacrifice. And if we really realize that our lives, our marriages, our calling depended upon it, we'd value it. But we just don't see. Why? Because it's, it's, everything's peaceful. It's fine. Rest, my marriage is great. My kids are good. I think everything's fine. No, the reality is the devil's working overtime behind the scenes to destroy everything you love. And if we don't wake up, we're going to find ourselves as victims. And we're going to be pointing the finger and blaming everybody else. These people at Laish, they got wiped out because they didn't make time for relationships. Unaware of the need, unavailable to connect. Others of us are just uncertain maybe of the outcome. Jot it down if you're taking notes. We're uncertain of, I don't really know if I want to open my life. Because look at what happens to Laish in verse 27. The men of Dan came down to the town of Laish and they saw the people that were peaceful and secure. And they attacked with swords and they burned the town to the ground. And there was no one to rescue the people because again they lived a great distance from Sidon. They didn't have allies nearby. 
Some of you are worried that you're not going to find an ally. You're going to find the people of Dan. You're going to find, if I open up my life, man, I see people that get burned to the ground. I, I see, man, Lace was prosperous and they were successful. And then what happened? People that came into their lives burned them to the ground and took advantage of them and, and abused and abandoned and even ultimately killed them. And maybe that's what we're nervous about because maybe you've gotten burned. The devil loves to bring some type of abandonment and abuse into our childhood because he's trying to make sure that you put every relationship in your life into the box of the one that hurts you so that you never allow yourself to be close to anyone. We get hurt very early on and we make the choice, I'm not gonna do that anymore. I heard the joke, and it's one of my favorites, about the three priests they decided to go fishing together and they were friends and then they were out on the boat for hours and nothing was biting and they got really bored. And so they said, you know, it's not fair. We carry all this weight for people and we're always hearing all these people's issues, but nobody ever listens to us. We never get confession. So they decided, why don't we just have a confession right here, right now in the boat while we're waiting for the fish? I said, that sounds great. So the first priest said, I'll go first. He said, I'm not proud of it, but man, the weight and pressure of being a priest is great. And sometimes about halfway through the day, I just can't handle it anymore. So I have to take a smoke break. It's not really a regular smoke break. I, I like to roll a little joint, a little weed back in my office. And to be honest with you, it's kind of what gets me by. The other pastor said, you're forgiven. Or the other priest said, they said, you're forgiven. Priest number two says, Man, it makes me feel a little better. To be honest with you, I, I've got a little bit of a gambling addiction. I got, I got an issue. Like, I know I should be giving alms to the poor, but all my money is going to the casino. As soon as I get off at the, there at the church, man, I run straight to the riverboat casino, and I gamble all my money away because I have got a big problem. The other two guys said, you're forgiven. The third guy sat in silence. They said, it's your turn. He said, no, my sin is too great. I can't confess. They said, no, you have to go. We went, you have to go. It's so good for you. It's cathartic. He said, well, to be honest with you, I just, I'm ashamed. And they said, no, you have to tell us. He said, okay, fine. My sin is gossip. I can't wait to get off this boat and tell everybody what the two of y'all been doing. <laughs> Come on, that's real, somebody. You think I come to circle and they're going to make me sit in a circle and everybody's going to surround me because they'll all have known each other forever. And they'll, they, you know, the house is going to smell and there's going to be cats everywhere and they're going to force me to eat casserole and then confess my deepest, darkest secrets to everybody I've never met in the room. And I can just tell you it's categorically false. We would never approve a circle leader who owns cats. It's not, it's not a thing that we would... We give ourselves these excuses because we think, man, the outcome is going to be bad. And can I just tell you that if you have been burned before, get ready because it's going to happen again. It's just a reality of life. Like Jesus never sinned. And we talk about Judas all the time, like he, 11 of them worked out, but it didn't really work out that good, did it? Like in his darkest moment, the three closest disciples kept falling asleep instead of praying. When he looked at the pillar of the future church, he denied him ever knowing him and cussed out a little girl and denied him three times. Like there really wasn't anybody in Jesus's life that didn't screw him over. 
There wasn't anybody that stood faithful. There wasn't anybody that had his back. And yet Jesus knew that if he invested right into the 11, that they would eventually come back around and that they would be forgiven and restored and that what he invested into them would eventually change the world. And we're here today because of those relationships. But I'm just here to tell you, if there's nobody close enough to hurt you, there is nobody close enough to help you. And so we push everybody away because we say, I can't, I can't bear the thought of that. I can't bear the weight of that. I can't go through the abuse of that ever again. And so every one of us have a Judas that we've walked through in our lives or a Peter or any number of the disciples. And we think, well, that's why. That's why you don't have friends. That's why you don't tell people things. That's why you don't trust others. Can I just tell you that you're getting deceived? You're getting isolated. You can be certain of the outcome. Somebody is going to lie about you. Somebody's going to gossip about you. Somebody's going to abuse you. And yet in the midst of all of that, I promise you it's worth it. Because connection, relationship, it's what makes us human. It's what helps us be who God's called us to be. It's worth fighting for, even in the midst of the problems and the pain and the tragedy. Yes, Laish still would have been attacked, but had they taken the time to invest in relationships, there would have been somebody that was there for them. And don't let the devil tell you just because somebody abused you when you were young or somebody abandoned you and your early adulthood or maybe yesterday that all relationships are worth throwing out because they are not. The Lord has called us to live together in community. So go over to Mark chapter three. Let's spend just a couple of minutes together in Mark chapter three. It's a very simple passage of Jesus selecting the relationships in his life. And I love this passage. It's just two verses, verses 13 and 14, because I think it's going to set you free and help give you a perspective of how to build your relational life. One of my favorite passages in scripture is Jesus selects his team Verse 13, Jesus went up on a mountainside, this is the New International Version, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, and then he sent them out to preach. Four things I want you to see. First thing is that godly relationships, number one, are intentionally selected. They're intentionally selected. He went up on the mountainside, and then he called to him those he wanted. Now, the thing that's fascinating to me is if there were those that he wanted, that means that there were those that he didn't wanted. Now, I'm just a simple guy, but if there were those he wanted that he called, that means he was like, you, 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 but definitely not you. You should stay here. And that may sound offensive, but the reality is you do have to love everybody, but you don't have to like everybody. Every church has Patriots fans. It just happens, you know, we pray for them, but it's true. There'll be some people cheering for the Kansas City Chiefs next weekend, and we will be in prayer for them. It just happens, you know, it's, it's, it's a thing. But the reality is Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 says, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way to be more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. And as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Man, I could teach an entire series, much less a whole message on that one verse. We don't have time for it all, but I want you to see 
that if you, this is the thing that people really miss. And I, I, I hope you hear me, those of you that only watch online, you have to be connected in relationship to be healthy and growing and full of love. You can't just be connected through a computer screen or a television. I celebrate our television ministry. I celebrate the power of connectivity so that we can be together in this moment. But I'm telling you, if we don't have relationships, we can't grow to be who God's called us to be. There is no such thing as being a part of the big C church without being a part of the little C church. You've got to be in a local church under a spiritual covering, connected and planted in a house. And that's one of the things our city struggles with. I'm going to go to youth group over there. I'm going to attend the morning service over here. Then I'll hit that service in the afternoon over there. And then I'll attend a, a small group with these people that are a collection of five different churches. And, and I'm not saying you can't have Christian friends outside of one house. I'm just saying, if you're not planted and submitted in one place, then your appendage growing out of the face of the Lord. And that's not a very good picture to the world. We're supposed to be a picture of the body of Christ. We're supposed to be a representation and each of us have a job to do and we can't find our job when we're not connected in relationship alongside of other people that God has called us with and we're supposed to fit together perfectly. And the reality is there are just some people that you don't fit with. It doesn't mean that they're sinful or wrong. It doesn't mean that you're sinful or wrong. It just, it's just not a good fit. They're just, they, they, we will both read the same Bible. We both believe the same things, but our personalities just don't mix. And that's all right. That's why I encourage you to try several circles because you may walk away from two or three and go, meh. But you may find one, you'd be like, now that's my people. Praise the Lord. I found some friends I could do life together with for the rest of my life. And, and the truth is that's just kind of how life works. Think about it, everybody. We all went to high school. We all had different circles of people that we hung around. Didn't make some people good, didn't make other people evil. Doesn't make one group right and another group wrong. It's just the fact that we naturally group together. In fact, I would already tell you that you're already in some way, shape, or form grouping. Because people just naturally group. I'm just trying to beg you to get Jesus at the center of why you group. Because we're already doing life with people. We just need to make sure that they're the right people that are going to push us and that we're intentional about it, that it's people that are strengthening us and encouraging us and, and challenging us. We're supposed to be healthy and growing and full of love. And keep in mind that it may take a little bit of time because Jesus called to them those he wanted, if we go back to the text, and they came to him, but then in verse 14, then out of that group, he selected 12 that he was really gonna do life with. So sometimes you have to like, have a lot of people around and be like, yeah, you know, we, we're cool and we hang out. But Jesus had like all these levels of relationships. He had the crowds that were around him all the time. He had the 72 that he sent out to preach. He had the 12 that followed him nearly everywhere he went. He had the three that were closest to him with specific times of miracles that he really needed faith or he really wanted to deposit something into someone. It's okay for you to have some of those groups of people and to understand where people are at in your life and you're just kind of measuring and testing and going slowly in relationships. The Bible actually says that the righteous are cautious in friendship. And so we gotta be intentional. Like I said before, too many of us are doing relationships out of default instead of out of design. We gotta make sure that we are intentional about the people in our lives. Jesus intentionally selected 12 that he wanted. Back to our text, verse 13, the Bible says he called to him those he wanted and they came 
to him. Number two, jot this down. They have to be mutually committed. When you're in a relationship, I hope you know that they're two-sided. There's a give and take to all. If it's a real relationship, the kind that's really going to be a blessing to you, those are never one-sided relationships. And I think in our world, we have become so narcissistic that if we fall for the ways that the world teaches us to do life, which many of us unfortunately do, we only look through relationship lenses through what they can do for us. And unfortunately, you need to wake up to the reality that everyone in the world kind of sees relationships that way as well. So they're only looking at you for what they can get from you. And that's not what relationships are all about. It's not that you get in a relationship with someone that's always a taker. You need to have unselfish people that are the closest to you in life. And the reality is we are born selfish. And everything about us in that sin nature draws us back to that place of selfishness. Every single human, if left to themselves, would become selfish. That's why the world is selfish, because they don't have Jesus that's forcing them to think out about the world, think about the fact that this life is not about this life and that they're supposed to give their lives away and serve others. So selfishness takes root in our hearts and, and without God, we become selfishly focused. Every family, if left to itself, would be all about just that family. O'Doyle rules, we just think about what is good for us, what blesses us. Every church, if left to itself, will focus on the people that are there. And we get so caught up in voting on the color of the pews and the color of the carpet and the songs that we sing that we forget that there's a world outside these doors that are lost and dying and going to hell because we get focused on ourselves and what we like and what we need because we're selfish. Every organization will get focused on itself. Every living organism will become selfish. And you just need to be aware of that as you select relationships and be wise about finding somebody who's unselfish because we are born selfish. Babies prove it all the time. Like they don't think about you. When that kid's crying for the 14th straight night and you're just losing your mind, they're not like, man, I hope this gas passes fast because my parents haven't slept in days. When they're blowing that diaper out, they're just like... They're not like, this is going to be gross to clean up. I better like chill for a minute. No, they're just letting it rip. They don't think nothing about you. And we think, yeah, that's funny and ridiculous. And yet you have people who are 30 years old, but emotionally they're about 14 months and they're just all over your life and you're just taking it, cleaning it up over and over again and again. That's not the kind of relationship that God has called you to. That's the culture we live in today. Delayed adolescence. People are just waiting longer and longer to grow up. That's fine. Let them be immature all they want to. They just can't be the kind of people that are investing into your life because they're not going to. You have to have the kind of people in your life that are not victims of their circumstances. They're no longer blaming their past for their present. They take responsibility for their actions and they're willing to invest into your life just like you're willing to invest into their life. And if you have that, then iron can actually sharpen iron so that you can become the person that God has called you to be. First John three eighteen says, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show it by the truth of our actions. And every wife said, amen, praise the Lord. Don't just tell me you love me, show me. Intentionally selected, mutually committed, back to our text, verse 14. So he appointed 12 
that they might be with him. Here's a principle that we all need to focus on this week. Great relationships are number three, fully present. He selected them, not so that he could just invest into them, not so that he could use them, but so that he could be with them. Listen, there is power and presence. That's why Jesus came to earth, Emmanuel, God with us. He came to model it for us. He didn't shout his love from heaven. He showed his love on earth. There's power in presence. There's power in being present in the moments that we're with the people around us. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. We need to fight to be together. Unlike the city of Laish, we say, I know that life is busy. I know this, the, the soil is fertile. I know the season of planting is now. I feel like this is an opportunity for me to advance, and yet I have to remember that I need safety. I need relationships. So I'm going to fight to be physically present, but then more importantly, in our children's lives, in our spouses' lives, in our church's lives, we're going to fight to be emotionally and spiritually present. Isn't it true that the devil loves to get us always living in another season or in another space? How many of us would be honest with ourselves, and I can say this is true of me as well, that when we're with family, we're thinking about work. When we're at church, we're thinking about our friends. When we're at work, we're thinking about vacation and the next time we get off, praise the Lord, and how much we just can't wait to be there. We're at dinner, we're focused on anything but the people who are at dinner with us. You ever look at America when you go out to a restaurant and see four or five people all like this? Sitting inches from one another, having no conversation, no interaction, no engagement. It's the devil getting us disconnected. We say, well, I'm present, I'm there, I go home every day, but are we actually emotionally and physically present? Are we taking... Uh, the, the opportunity to invest into the people around us. And I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to all of you. Are we really looking into the eyes of the people that we care about and focusing on what they're telling us and asking follow-up questions and making sure that we understand where they're at and ministering to their needs and having real, authentic relationships fully present in the moment. The Bible says this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it the devil loves to have you looking over your shoulder at the good old days, which were not the good old days. Let's be honest. We all hated high school when we were there. Why do you think it was so great? You were like, man, I can't wait to get out of high school. I'm going to college. It's going to be amazing. You get to college, you think, man, I can't wait to get out of college and get married. It's going to be so nice. And you get married, you think, I can't wait to have kids. Praise the Lord. Then you get kids. I can't wait to get rid of these kids. Praise the Lord. It's going to be so nice. We're never living in the season that we're in. We're always looking forward, looking back. Whenever present in the moment, all of you are thinking about where you're going to brunch after church because you're getting hungry. You're thinking, he's got to be close. I think there's like three or four points. This has got to be, it's the pad. The person that signals that the church service is done. Why aren't they playing yet? Because it's the next verse. It's the next one. Go ahead, Jill. Second Corinthians chapter six. Here she comes, right? Come on, give her a hand. She's the best. We all love Jill. I love Jill because she's so good at what she does. She helps me usher in the anointing. Y'all love Jill because you're like, oh, praise God. 
You get the kids, I get the car. We'll get out of here fast. The Bible says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. We got to learn how to be present in the moments that we're in. This is the only moment that you get to enjoy. This is the only moment that you get to be alive. Yesterday is just a memory. Tomorrow is just a dream. This is the only moment that you're really, truly invested in. So when we're with the people that we love, the people that we care about, let's fight this week to be present. How much better would all of our relationships be if physically, spiritually, and emotionally we were fully present? Verse 14 as we close. So Jesus got this group together and then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. The last thing, number four, as we close is spiritually connected. Our relationships have a spiritual purpose. They're not just intentionally selected, mutually committed, fully present, but they're spiritually connected. Jesus' entire legacy, the whole future of saving the world hinged on his relationship with these guys. We're here today because of them. And so we need to think about the spiritual depth and the legacy of what we're building in the relationships that we surround ourselves with. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, to flee the evil desires of youth and to pursue the things of God, which is righteousness, faith, love, and peace. But how do you do it? along with other people who are doing the same thing. You gotta find some other people that are also running away from the things that tempt them and from the things that have held them back. They're running towards the things that God has for them. This is the life that God has called them to live. I'm just telling you that we've seen over 50,000 people saved in the years that I-Town has been a church, we planted in 2010, it's nothing short of a miracle, but I can tell you that it's because of all the people that are running alongside me and Kate. It's because of the GO team that serves. It's because of those of you who have found your gifts, your calling, your ministry, and you're alongside of us, helping us. The things that we accomplish in this life, the future that God has for us, and the dream that he's placed in your heart, it hinges on the relationships that you surround yourself with. All of us, we need each other so that all of us can be healthy and growing and full of love. Church, listen to me. It's time to find where we fit. Stop telling yourself it's not the right season. Stop telling yourself I'm just too busy. I, I just, I, I, somebody's gonna burn me. Yes, somebody definitely will burn you. And yes, it's definite that you are busy, but I'm just telling you, you can't live without it. For the next 12 weeks, let's make the sacrifice to do life together. Let's find some people that the Lord has called us to run this race together with. And I promise you, you'll find that your life, your marriage, your children, your spiritual life will go so much further, so much faster than you ever dreamed possible. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray that God would touch us in this circle semester. That he would lead us, each one of us, as we 
select the groups that we are deciding to check out that his hand would be on it. But first, before we go, I just wonder how many of us are here and for one reason or another, you're far from God today. Could have been because somebody betrayed you or somebody let you down. And I just want you to know that wasn't God. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And if you'll surrender your life to him, I promise that he'll touch you and bless you in ways that you never dreamed possible. So at every campus, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody moving around. Campus pastors, join me on the stage. In just a moment, we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray with you to help you to surrender your life to Jesus. A miracle takes place. He makes you into a brand new person. And I want that for you today more than you could possibly imagine. All you have to do is surrender to him. I'm not going to make you stand or come to the front. We're just going to pray with you right where you're at. But at every campus today, or even if you're watching online at the correctional facility, out in overflow, if that's you, would you do me the favor to just lift your hand up high for just a second to say, Dave, that's me today. I need Jesus. Come on right now. Just put your hand up high. Say, I need a fresh start. I need God to touch me today. Yeah. That's awesome. So proud of you. You can put your hands down if you haven't already. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. You can pray it quietly in your heart. You just need to mean it. Just say, Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. Forgive me today for all of my sins. I repent. I invite you into my life to make me brand new. Today, I place my trust in you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Now, God, I pray as we enter into this new circle semester that you would touch every person in this church. God, we thank you that there are people that you have called to run this race alongside of us. People who we can invest into and will also invest into us. God, I pray that you would help us to find our fit in the body of Christ, that we would learn how to do life together. Help us to find places where we can be honest and vulnerable, where people will cry with us and celebrate with us and pray with us. God, I ask that you would convict our hearts to see that no one here is safe if we get off by ourselves, that the enemy is still prowling like a lion ready to attack. God, we thank you that you have that relationship right around the corner for us. We open our hearts to it in this next semester. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us and that you would guide us in this next week as we find the right circle, the right group of friends. God, I thank you for your blessing that rests upon your people today. Let your favor shine on them in ways they never dreamed possible. Help us, Lord, in our own personal lives to be present every single moment. We thank you for the blessing we have of living in spiritual community. We love you today. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on, church, would you celebrate with those who prayed that prayer today? Thank you so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now, for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon, and God bless.